You know, I think whenever I think about and meditate on the gospel, it really excites me. And I think I've said this before. Um, I don't really have a whole lot of convictions and uh, you know, strong feelings about things. But there is one thing that I'm really uh, convinced and convicted about, and that is the, the truth of the gospel. Um, and it is a privilege uh, for me to be a minister of the gospel. Um, you know, why God would choose an un- unworthy person like me, I would, I would never know. Um, but it is um, just whenever I think about the gospel and to, um, you know, share uh, with people, it really excites me. <clears throat> uh, so, uh, one of the uh, more common misconceptions about the gospel uh, is that it's in the domain of the New Testament. Because we often uh, speak of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we sometimes we may think that the gospel, uh, gospel narrative started with the coming of Christ in you know, the, the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we uh, people tend to think the Old Testament is basically uh, God's dealings with the nation of Israel. Uh, but it is only in the New Testament that the gospel is introduced and it flourishes. So definitely, like, uh, in the New Testament, the, when the God, with the, the advancement of uh, the coming of Christ and the gospel, right, it, it, it's definitely more inclusive, right? We talk about the Gentiles coming, hearing the gospel and just coming to know Christ and being included into the people of God. Right, and so there is that, that inclusiveness that we that we see, and as Gentiles, right, it's just definitely we can relate to the New Testament. So the, uh, we tend to think the New Testament is where it's really relevant for us, but the Old Testament, uh, not so sure, not so much. And I thought like that uh, for a long time when I was younger. Sure, I loved reading Genesis. Before I understood the gospel, I mean, every January, you know, you know, when I was younger, uh, you know, I would always hear the pastors on the first Sunday of the the, the year. They say, you know, if you don't uh, just aim at anything, you know, they're talking about New Year's resolution. You surely hit it, right? And so I said, oh man, maybe I should just make a goal of reading through the Bible, you know, in one year. So I would always obviously start from the first book, the Genesis, and so I really enjoyed reading. Uh, Genesis, uh, because it's full of stories, but to me, they were kind of just in- interesting stories. I was really far removed from them because I thought it's really about the Genesis and basically the, all the uh, Old Testament is really about Israel, God's dealings with Israel, and the New Testament is where it was at for me. I guess it, I'm included in that. But you see, nothing can be further from the truth. Genesis is where all, where everything begins. Without Genesis, there is no gospel. Without Genesis, there is no fall. There is no condemnation. There is no sin. And there is no need of a redeemer. Without Genesis providing all this, if there it was Genesis was taken out, then there is no need for the gospel. The whole, uh, the whole book of the Bible is meaningless, it's pointless, because it's, everything is going towards the, the, the promised Messiah, 
Jesus Christ coming to save the sins, sins of the world. And yet, if there is no Genesis, there's nothing. Nothing to go by. There's no reason for him. Without Genesis, we would have no clue as to how to relate to God. Why we are separated from God. Why we are the way we are. All this, Genesis tells us, it is so foundational to the gospel. Not just the history of the world or human history, but for us, the gospel people, it is foundational. I, like when, when I first got married, you know, I just wanted to be a good uh, husband. And um, it was a time when um, I think a lot of people at the time was uh, were watching uh, the TV series Lost. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it. Uh, the, I, don't, I never watched it. Uh, I it never like, you know, I was never interested. Like if, I, if I miss like the painting or whatever, it doesn't, I don't want to just try to figure out what's going on and things. So even like 24, I never watched it until the very last season because everybody was been talking about it and things like that. But anyways, and so uh, towards the, the early, the first few months of our marriage, uh, Grace was telling me, oh, it's uh, the loss is the, today, tonight is the last episode. I'm like, okay, I, I, I should be a good husband, right? So I should just watch the, the last episode and maybe try to piece things together, right? How, you know, I, that's how clueless I was about the whole show. And so surely I was just sitting there and I was watching the last episode of Lost. And obviously I was so lost, right? <laughs> I mean, that show, I mean, but I was like, what's, I was just like so confused. Huh? What? It, it's people are coming. The same guys were just coming back to life or going going to die. And I was like, what is? What kind of show is this? And but then you know, like as it ended, you know, Grace was kind of tearing up. I was like, oh, it ended, and then it's like, I, it didn't mean anything to me because I I didn't watch the beginning, and I'm sure like there were a lot of there were like twists in the plots and whatnot because I didn't see the beginning. I had no idea. It was meaningless. It didn't touch me like it touched her. But she kept up with it for years. Same thing with the God, uh, Genesis. Unless we really dig into and really just grasp this understanding of what the Genesis tells us, the rest of it really doesn't make sense. Right? So that's why we've been just dwelling on the fall, the third chapter three, you know, for last you know few few weeks. You know, maybe you may say, man, Pastor Jay and Pastor Win, it's coming out of our ears. Man. Can we just move on right now? I mean, enough about just talking about sin and fall and all these things. And um, But, you know, it's not because we want to be negative or try to just, like, pound you and try to make you feel guilty and condemned. No, it's so that we may, because unless we understand the fall and who we are, right, apart from God, apart from Christ, none of this, none of the scripture really makes sense. It doesn't matter to any of us. So, here we are. And today, in this passage, we see God's judgment in today's text. You know, after the prophetic attempt by Adam and Eve to shift blame, we see that God would have none of it. God cannot be mocked. You cannot, we cannot expect a holy God to turn a blind eye to sin and unrighteousness. The serpent, the woman, 
and the man were all judged, but only the serpent and the ground were cursed. And the latter, the, the, the ground is cursed because of Adam, according to verse 17. And Paul says in Romans 8 that all creation is cursed and in bondage because of sin. It's really because of the sin that we have committed, that all the, the, the ground is cursed because of it. So when we read uh, through this passage, some of us may think, so where is the gospel? I thought the gospel, once again, is about Jesus Christ and all these things. I mean, what version are you reading, Pastor, would you? Right? Well, verse 15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And this is the first gospel declared in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The woman's offspring that God is speaking of is referring to Jesus Christ. He shall ultimately come and ultimately defeat Satan and his offspring. It is from this point on that the stream divides. Satan and his family, and God and his family. You know, actually, like uh, in the original language, uh, in Hebrew, when uh, God makes this um, uh, judgment, pronouncement, um, uh, he says, and I will put enmity between serpent and the Satan and the woman, the man, uh, so all mankind, and between your offspring and her offspring. The, the word offspring, it, it also can be translate, translated as seed, offspring. So uh, sometimes we talk about offspring in terms of human, uh, it's either he or she, but in the, uh, in the Hebrew language, it's a neuter. So it. You know, it's like when we flower seed, we don't say he or she, we say it, right? The flower seed is it, not he or she. So grammatically, Hebrew, it, this should have read, uh, I will put enmity between, yeah, between your offspring and her offspring. And then when, uh, God is referring to the offspring of the woman, it's like grammatically, it should say it. It will, because it's, uh, the, the word offspring is neutered. So when it's referring to that, the seed, it should have been it. And yet, has a God gives this grammatically uh, wrong uh, pronoun, uh, he, instead of saying, it will bruise your head. But it says, he shall bruise your head. Was God kind of confused in his anger that he forgot to refer to it as it? No, it was intentional that it was specifically he. Right. It's not even she, he, referring to Jesus Christ. God himself put the enmity, the hostility between the Satan and his offspring and woman and her offspring. God has done this. The antagonism between people and snakes is used to symbolize the outcome of the titanic struggle between God and the evil one. A struggle that has been played out in the hearts and history of mankind. The offspring of woman of the woman would eventually crush the serpent's head. A promise fulfilled in Christ's victory 
over Satan, a victory that all believers will share. So this verse, chapter 3, verse 15, God is already speaking of the coming Redeemer, somebody who's going to come and redeem the mankind, people who would believe in him. So it was from the very... Um, so you see, the gospel wasn't this last-minute effort on God's part after a series of failures right? that he has tried in the Old Testament. God would keep sending his servants, the prophets, in the Old Testament time so that first he would get his people right, come, return to me, repent. right? Because there's a judgment if you do not but just obey me, follow me, love me, that there will be great blessing and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, through your obedience. But the nation of Israel kept disobeying, kept rebelling against God. People wouldn't listen to him. So God, God after all those failures, okay, I mean, what am I going to do now? Oh, I know what to do. I have a plan B. I'm going to send my son. He said what happened? No. See, the gospel was not this last minute, last ditch effort from God. But from the very beginning of human history, God has decreed it. As we see in uh, chapter 3, verse 15. It was from the very beginning that God planned and declared his plan for salvation through Jesus Christ. Even in his judgment, God promises. You know, once again, God is uh, offended through the, uh, because of the rebellion of mankind. But in his judgment, God promises this coming Messiah. Because of this promise, we have hope. And this promise changes everything about our lives. Even though we were the objects of God's wrath, righteous wrath, because of our sins, now we have become objects of His mercy. Not, it's not our own doing. It's not because we are doing some good things. Not, it's not because we come up to church on Sunday or we go to Bible studies or do our, you know, pray or read Bible and all these great good things. It's not because of our doing. But it is through the work, death, sacrifice, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have become the objects of His mercy. Once again, the Old Testament is the promise made. That's what it's about. And the New Testament is a promise fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Time after time, man fails. And God will remind us of the promise. There is a uh, Messiah. There is Christ that is coming who would defeat the enemy and bring us back to God. And that promise was finally fulfilled in Christ. Though it's a dreadful thing to receive God's judgment, we have hope because of this promise that God gives. From the very beginning, I don't know what it must felt like. If I were Adam or Eve, I would have been like, sure, I mean, I would be like, so, I mean, can you imagine? God, the God that you knew before was a God created you, that you were in this great relationship, perfect harmony, 
and then a woman, because of uh, your disobedience, God turns and then pronounces judgment on you. The horror, the dread that you would go as you receive the judgment of God. That even in the midst of that horrible, horrific moment, that God promises something that Adam and Eve did not deserve, and any one of us deserves. Promise of a Savior. So what I see in this passage is justice being served, but at the same time, grace is shining through. Even just this verse 15, this grace of God shining forth in our midst. And in verse 16, God speaks of woman's pain in childbearing. The pain of childbearing is a constant reminder of the of first mother's sin. Right? Every time. For moms that have their child. There's great pain. But in another sense, it can also be viewed as a sign of grace because with the pain comes the joy of having your, of the child. And God graciously allows the mankind Property. At that time when they felt rebelled against God, once again, God could have said, okay, forget this, right? No more. Just wipe out the, the mankind, right? And there's nothing that anybody could, uh, I don't think any lions or like, elves, I objection God. I don't think anybody would have done that, anything in the creation. But God, in His judgment, says, yes, there will be curse, there will be consequences of sin. At the same time, He graciously allows the mankind to continue on. And he goes on to say, the woman's sexual attraction for the man and his headship over her speaks of tension in marriage. Rather than being in this mutual care and understanding that there is constant struggle between man and woman in marriage. And as for men, he would suffer frustration in his work. That we all, as we work, right, there is frustration because of all the fallenness, sin in us, people around us, everywhere. That there is curse. So there, uh, you know, God says, as a result of your disobedience, there has to be this hard work. So you have to, we have to work hard and long, and that is the judgment of God. But, at the same time, the man would be able to produce food that would sustain life. As you work, can you imagine? You just work and work and work and digging the holes and doing all the, uh, planting the seeds and things, but at the end, there's nothing comes up. How futile, how like hopeless that would be. And he wouldn't be sustained. He would die. At least, even though it's so frustrating and hard, God would grant us. God would give us grace by saying, you know what? At least there will be some fruit of your labor. That, that your life will be sustained through your hard work. Long hours of work. But you will get some back. So it is judgment, but on the other, on the other way, it's the grace of God that He would allow us 
to continue on. That there will be some fruit of our labor. God could have had it once again. Like, you can work all you want, but I'm not going to give you nothing. That's not what God did. Said, there will be fruit. And so that is grace, a sign of grace. And after handing out judgment here in this passage, we see yet another powerful picture of, of the gospel in verse 21. So verse 21 says this, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So, what's the big deal? Well, if you guys stop and think about this, there was the shedding of the blood. Right? The skin. The skin had to come somewhere. That there was a shedding of the blood. And there was, when we think about this, there was the offering of the innocent life for the guilty, right? Whatever that the animal that was sacrificed to clothe Adam and Eve, that animal had nothing to do with it, right? It was Adam and Eve who fell, who sinned, and yet it was the innocent uh, the animal that had to be sacrificed, the, 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 the blood had to be shed so the, for the benefit of the guilty. And God clothed the offering of the innocent life for the life of the guilty. But isn't that what God has done for us through Jesus Christ? Hasn't God clothed us with the righteousness of Christ? That there was a shedding of the innocent blood. And the offering, the offering of the innocent life had to be made for the sake of the guilty. And that's what the gospel is about. Adam and Eve, once again, tried to cover their sin and shame with leaves. But these human efforts were not accepted by God. When they tried to do that, that was just not good enough. And such words still are not accepted today. You know, when we uh, look at so many <coughs> talk to people out there, so many people still have this world's salvation. How do you know that you would go to heaven? Well, I'm not 100% sure, but if I were to go to heaven, it's because, I mean, I, I think I, I can go to heaven. Why, then why, why, how, why would God allow you into his heaven? People, most people, the people that I talk to out in the streets and because, you know, when I was in a seminary class, I took an evangelism class, and that's what we were supposed to do. We were supposed to go out into the mall, and, you know, we're not supposed to do that, actually, but so it was kind of illegal. But anyway, I talked to some people in the, in the mall, and people on the street, you know, just waiting for bus, in, at the bus stop, talked to them. Most people said, oh, yeah, I think I can go to heaven because I'm a good person. Because, you know, I kind of volunteer for the community. You know, I've been a good person all my life. I'm not really a serial killer or drug uh, drug dealer. I'm basically, I'm not perfect, but I'm a good person. So most people out there still think through our human efforts, through our own merits, that they're just hoping that that should be good enough for them to get them into heaven through their own goodness, through their own righteousness. But the scripture and the gospel makes it very clear that there is, we cannot 
no matter how hard we try, no matter how you know just how perfect we try to be, still it is not good enough because what God demands is perfection. So this cannot be done on our own strength. And yet, still, today, because of the fall, we still try to buy our own innocence, righteousness, through our good works. We think, if we do this, that God should upset me. If I do that, that God should be pleased with me, so that should be good enough for me to get into heaven, or to have a right relationship with God. But the gospel tells us, it is not about our human efforts. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect, obedient life that none of us can ever live. And that righteousness that God has received at the cross, now it has been transferred over to it has been we are clothed with that. Just as God clothed Adam and Eve with the innocent uh, uh, animal skin and the shedding of the blood. When God clothed them, that's what God does to us today through the sacrifice, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in this passage that we read, in, in this passage, um, even what we see is even in terrible judgment of God, in his mercy, God spares the man from the full wrath that he truly deserves and makes a provision for him so that he can be saved. What an amazing God we serve. When I read this passage, it really moves my heart. Before, when I understood the gospel, I was like, oh yeah, Adam and Eve, you know, once again, I'm not Adam and Eve, so they deserve, they deserve this. And, uh, whoa, but God was kind of harsh, man. That is like, I mean, I mean, he, all they did is just a little like, you know, just kind of, just took that fruit. What's the big deal? Why is God so like, you know, bring down all this curse and uh, all these things? And what, what's the deal? I didn't really understand this passage thought that God was really harsh, God, God really overreacted, but now, and I used to see, all I saw was judgment of God. God is so upset and ticked off at Adam and Eve, he was just pouring out his wrath, righteous wrath, that's all I saw. But now, when I understood, understood the gospel, right, it gives me hope, even in this passage. Yes, there is a judgment and we see that, that, that God is just. But at the same time, I see elements of grace. God has been really gracious, giving us, in a hopeless state, gave us the hope of becoming Messiah. God would give us grace so that we would continue on as a human race, even after our rebellion. That God would give us grace to sustain life, sustain our lives, through long and hard labor, and yet we are able to read some of the results so that we can continue on from day to day. And God granted us, and God also covered, made a covering for Adam and Eve. They tried to cover it on their own, but that wasn't good enough. So God sacrificed <laughs> the innocent one for the sake of the guilty. 
And that is the picture of the gospel. So it is my prayer for all of us that as we just go through the book of Genesis and all, all, through, all through scripture, all of this really points back to Christ. Before, I didn't really understand that. I just looked at every different story, like isolated. Oh, David and Goliath, okay, just by itself. Adam and Eve had nothing to do with Jesus or whatever. It, was just, it just happens. They just fell, and then because of their fault, we became sinners too. Great. That was my attitude, but now I see that all this, from Genesis to Revelation, there's this common thread that brings everything together, focuses on that one person that God has promised from chapter 3 and fulfills it through his son Jesus Christ. And that is that one person that we are to look to. You know, if any the, the greatest compliment that I think I can ever get from people is, you know, when I have issues now, yes, it's good to have people turn to counselors, to be like books. That, that, that's all needed, actually, we do. But I turn to Christ first, right? When I hear that, that would be the grace that then I believe that I've done my job. As a minister of the gospel, if I somehow direct your attention and your source of encouragement, hope, and strength, wisdom, everything about it, to Christ. If you say, I turn to Christ now, I turn to Him, then they will be like, hey, I've done my job. That I've been faithful, or I've been, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Right? And so it is my prayer for all of us. Whatever that you may be going through even at this time, I'm sure every one of us goes through different things in life, issues, burdens that we carry on our own. If you can only just turn to Christ, look to Him for strength and direction and guidance, wisdom, and He will be there. If He were to really, if He died for us, why would He withhold anything from us? So let's turn to Christ and really embrace the gospel and live by the gospel. And that is my um, you know, hope and desire for all of us. Let's pray.